0: You are listening to the Performance Anxiety Podcast on the Pantheon Podcast Network, and I am your host, Mark. And today's guest was into music earlier than most. Neil Gust had an obsession with vinyl as a toddler. He'd walk around the house with records in his hands. His obsession with music stayed with him through college, where he met Elliot Smith, and they started playing in bands. After graduating, the duo decided they would continue to play together and decided Portland, Oregon was the place to go. That's where Neil and Elliot formed the band Heat Miser. After the third album, Elliot's solo work began getting a lot of traction, and the band dissolved. Neil decided to continue on with a new band, which was kind of accidentally given the moniker number two. Unfortunately, the band never really got the label support it deserved. And as the second album was released and things were getting harder, not easier, Neil put down music and began a new career in video editing. That took him to New York City, where he found great success creating videos for Jaguar automobiles. But one night, playing Skyrim, Neil had an epiphany, and number two was reborn. It was picking up steam when COVID stalled everything. But Neil soldiered on in a Connecticut boat house. So check out the new album by number two called First Love. Follow their Instagram account at underscore 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 number do underscore underscore underscore. Pick up the album from Jealous Butcher or wherever you get music, follow us at Performance Anx and show us a little support with some coffee at ko-fi.com slash performance anxiety or purchase things at performanceanx.threadless.com. And at this point, I present to you Neil Gust of number two on Performance Anxiety on the Pantheon Podcast Network.
1: Sure. What do I do? I just say, hi, this is Neil from the band number two. And this is Performance Anxiety, the podcast. Um, just use that.
0: <laughs> well, thank you for hopping on. This is going to be fun. Yeah, sure. Thank you for having me. Of course. I, I like to figure out, or I guess maybe find out is a better term, how you got to where you are now. And a lot of that includes what you were influenced by growing up what was what was going on what were you listening to how did you get into music in the first place so what got you into music in the first place was it uh something that that your parents were listening to were there music lessons that you were forced into or how did that No happen? I uh the way I got into
1: music was I was really into records as a toddler oh it's weird (laughs) it's weird like i have baby pictures or i'm holding records oh wow i remember it i remember it (laughs) um i loved them and i carried them around with me all the time 45s oh wow and one of the one of my biggest christmas presents of my life happened when i was six and my mom got me proper record player and I flipped out you know (laughs) so it was always a weird obsession records and I remember those records were like Three Dog Night and The Beatles and Simon and Garfunkel I remember oh excellent and then I have lots of brothers and sisters older brothers and sisters okay and they were super into music and i listened to their records and so i remember my sister had like the sweet and um little willie was like one of my favorite songs (laughs) and then and then as i got a little bit older i came under the influence of our cousins who lived in chicago okay and they they were older they were the age of my brothers and sisters i have five brothers and sisters and one stepbrother. and wow everybody was super into music we didn't have television oh wow uh, until i was in like fifth grade mm-hmm. and and then um we all had to work on my dad's farm in north dakota or for the summer and the only thing to do when you were out there on the farm was listening to the radio Oh okay. or, or my brother's tape deck, which was like a big deal when he got a, a tape deck in his pickup, <laughs> an eight track tape deck. Oh, nice. And so, and, but he leveled up the cassette pretty quick and um, <laughs> like it, it, so music was just always around us. So my cousins would come from, chicago they would visit us regularly because their mother was my mother's identical twin sister and they were very close wow and so when they would come visit they'd bring a stack of records and i i remember and i I was like six seven eight years younger than they were and i just remember looking at their albums and being transfixed and you know we there wasn't we didn't have a lot of records. we had maybe a dozen ah okay, you know, and so they would come, there'd be this big new stack of records, and it was it was stuff like Black Sabbath and wow, let it bleed and Led Zeppelin too and uh, a bunch of Pink Floyd stuff, like Animals and Wish You Were Here. Oh, classic! I remember, stuff. I remember those things because I just would stare at the record covers. I couldn't. I was transfixed. Oh yeah. So I've always been, was always really into it. And then um, a friend of my mom's suggested I start taking guitar lessons, and I was eight years old, and I was, was super into that. <laughs> I bet. So. I started taking guitar lessons, but I hated them. They were, I I thought I was going to like, learn how to be, play rock music. And you do you know, I was eight.
0: (laughs) You pick up the guitar and be Jimmy page immediately. We had pictures, like, posters of Led Zeppelin that my cousins
1: had gotten from Chicago, these huge wall-sized posters of Led Zeppelin. They're, I wish I had it now. Like, they were the coolest. I mean, I looked at it every day. Yeah. You know, there, it was on the bedroom wall. I shared this bedroom with my two brothers, and all we had were these posters and bands. <laughs> so, you know, um, it was... It, it was I knew I wanted to be in a band, like, forever.
0: Okay. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsors. Hey, guys. I've got some great news. Performance Anxiety and Pantheon Podcasts are giving away an exclusive VIP experience to see Nick Mason's Saucerful of Secrets. So head to pantheonpodcast.com slash Mason to enter. Find the link in the show description or head over to our Twitter, Facebook, or Nick Mason's Facebook page for the link to enter to win. Head over to PantheonPodcast.com backslash Nick Mason to enter. Find the link in the show description or head over to our Twitter, Facebook, or Nick Mason's Facebook page for the link to enter to win Front Row Seat Upgrades, a very special commemorative guitar pick shaped necklace carved down from a drum cymbal played by Nick Mason himself. You also get a selection of curated exclusive VIP merchandise, including a VIP laminate and lanyard, crowd-free shopping at a dedicated merchandise stand before the show, and on-site perks such as priority check-in, VIP express lane into the venue for ease of entry, and a dedicated customer service line. Nick will be playing in my area at the Lincoln Theater in D.C. on September 27th, and I'd love to meet up with a D.C. winner at the show. So enter now at pantheonpodcast.com backslash nickmason. Winners will be notified via email one week prior to the event, so enter now. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. Without a healthy mind, being truly happy and at peace is hard. The good news is, therapy works. But what is therapy exactly? It's whatever you want it to be. Maybe you're not feeling motivated right now and would like some tools to help. Or maybe you're feeling insecure in relationships or at work, not dealing well with the stress. Whatever you need, it's time to stop being ashamed of normal human struggles and start feeling better because you deserve to be happy. And now you don't have to worry about finding an in-person therapist near you to help. BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist so you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It's much more affordable than in-person therapy and you can start communicating with your therapist in under 48 hours. Try doing that in person. So join the millions of people who are seeing what online therapy is really about. It's always a good time to invest in yourself because you are your greatest asset. And a special offer to performance anxiety listeners, you can get 10% off your first month of professional therapy at betterhelp.com/performanceanxiety. That's better h e l p com performance anxiety thanks again to better help for sponsoring this podcast so it was something natural in you then so at what point did you think that it was something that you could do as a profession because you didn't go to college for music did you i mean i know you went no no we um i don't know if i really thought it
1: through (laughs) (laughs) you know like i by the time i was in high school i was really into rem oh wow okay and like that once i turned like 14 and i heard murmur and reckoning it kind of was like a big shift for me like away from classic rock and opens this whole door into And that's also like when you're a teenager and you start hearing what your friends are listening to and you start meeting other people who are as into music as I was, I grew up in Iowa city. Okay. Which is a really oppressively sports focused (laughs) Midwestern town. Really? Yeah. It's like the Hawkeyes everywhere. Um, It's the fucking Hawkeyes everywhere. (laughs) Like, I'm not joking. It's still like that. I was oh, back right. there a little bit last year visiting my mom. And, and it's just, I just can't believe how obsessed that town is with the Hawkeyes.
0: I understand. And,
1: and it all just felt like the only thing that mattered was sports. And I sucked at sports. Ah, okay. You know, and and I loved music. And so... You know, I was drawn to other people, and I was a teenager. Started meeting other people who were really into music, and they were all weirdos. You know, <laughs> like the first g- other gay person I met was super into Prince, and that scared the shit out of me. Like he had Dirty Mind, and I remember just uh, looking at that record like it was like a porn magazine or something. It just looked so naughty. S- Oh, so, like, <laughs> like nothing I'd ever seen. Right. And then I had another friend who was really into the B-52s and Devo. Oh, and that seems so subversive, <gasps> you know, like, it's so funny now that like Devo would be subversive, right. but at the time it really felt like it was. Well, and, they were so different than anything else. Oh yeah. They, I mean, they're, I they're still kind of are. To, yeah, they're, they're trying to play a part like in between each other rather than together, but they do it in such a, a groovy way that it's like, oh, my God, you know, like it blew people's minds. Yeah. There's a reason Devo is so amazing. Yeah. But I kind of forgot the question.
0: Uh, me too, actually. Oh, when did uh, – you didn't go to college about, for
1: music. So. No, no, no. So, like, I played in – I had a band pretty much from when I was – 14 on as soon as i got an electric guitar i got into a band oh nice and they weren't very good but i played in a band that had a shifting lineup pretty much through high school and then i went to college and the first person i met was elliot right elliot smith yeah elliot smith and he was like me like he we were just like identified each other as we just put all of our effort and all of our interest was in records and recording and music and so we started playing together right away okay and and then and we would perform at school and um eventually started a full band together and then the summer before we were going to graduate, we were like, well, "What are we going to do?" And then we just decided, "Well, let's go be in a band together." Like that's our plan. Okay. We just graduate, finish college, and then go be in a band. And there, and and at first, it was we were going to go to Chicago. Okay. But then, as time was going on, we sort of realized that Portland was a much better choice because, well, first of all, like. Elliot came back like the summer before our, our last year in, in school with like Mud Honey records. Oh yeah. And we were like, this is amazing. Like, <laughs> wow. And then and then we knew like that's going on in Portland, like in the Pacific Northwest. Okay. And and then he knew Tony Lash. Oh, okay. Yeah. Who he'd played music with in high school. And Tony is this great drummer who also is a great uh music producer he was producing like poison idea um and but also other band like a a whole variety of different kinds of bands from portland like nero's rome he played in nero's rome which is a sort of kind of a more slick late 80s type sounding band i don't i don't you know maybe more like in excess or something like that oh, okay but so he was just a diverse and uh really serious musician serious about music and engineering and producing and so we were like great and and he and he agreed to to like start a band with me and Elliot. Oh awesome okay so we that's we just we just as soon as we Graduated, we had a plan. We moved to Portland, started playing with Tony, found a bass player, Brant, and immediately were playing music. But, and it, it was always the idea that it would be something that we made a living from. But we didn't, uh, you know, I, we never knew how that worked or really what that would feel like over a lifetime or right. anything like that. You know, it was just like, this
0: is what we're doing now, and we put all our effort into it. So, with Miser, how did the songwriting go? Did, were you guys bringing in your own music? Were you collaborating? Was it both? It was both. So we we were writing songs all
1: through college and recording together, and okay. sometimes a few times we tried writing the same song together, but we came at it from such different points of view that it didn't always work and the what would the way that some of the songs that we did write together uh, the way that they would come about is either he would have something and then he'd abandon it and i would take like the song structure and do something to it and i would sing it or he would take music of mine and sing to it and and I had abandoned it, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So, um, and then there are lots of early heat miser stuff where we're just trying to write as fast as possible, and (laughs) if there was an opening, you know, one of us would fill it. Okay. You know? And it, it became much more about, like, songwriting after our first record, where we just became, we kind of, you know, it was a, in a few short years we were just moving so fast and trying to make stuff happen so fast that, like, we finished the record and then we were like, that's what we sound like? <laughs> By just doing his first solo record,
0: okay. okay,
1: and and I just kind of watched that and was amazed. But I mean, it wasn't it wasn't anything different than he hadn't been doing all along. He was always super prolific, okay, and yeah. Always made songs like that all the time. Like it, it wasn't didn't seem any different to me, but it did. You could tell that he was getting, he was progressing. And um, so I like had to progress as well. And so that's what I tried to do.
0: Well, I can hear it throughout the, you know, the three Heatmiser albums. I mean, Dead Air, I like Dead Air a lot, but Coppin' Speeder and Mike City's Sons, they're just, you know, leaps and bounds of, you know, ahead of of Dead Air. And I think Mike City Sons is, is the the best out of all and it, it's just a great progression thanks I, I really and it's it's funny because i kind of i forgot how good heat miser was until i went back and started listening to this i'm like god why did i stop listening to this stuff this is so good thank you i, th- I think one of my favorite tracks is um uh let me look at it real quick here A uh, plain clothes man Great yeah. track. I mean, yeah. I love how the this, like you said, it, it the song. Right, it became more about songwriting yeah. as it went on, and it's it's definitely evident. How did Heat Miser end? I mean, was it was it a well, mutual it ended, kind of thing or?
1: Well, it ended because there was so much more momentum for Elliott's solo stuff than there was for the band, and and he followed that and eventually like it just, it wasn't, we weren't going to do anything anymore. Uh-huh. And so it just kind of, this kind of, you know, we finished Mike City Sons and it was a really exhausting thing to make. And then we just kind of turned it in, went on a short tour and, and then turned, we just started doing other things. Elliot just was on a roll with his solo stuff. There's a long podcast about that that me and Tony and Sam did last year that where we get much more deeply into that.
0: Is that the one that really focuses on Mike City Sons? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'm spacing on the name. uh, I just found it today, so I don't remember it either. But uh, if you want life of the record, life of the record, okay. Life of the record. All right. So. So Heat Miser ends, and you keep going with the band number two. Well, I didn't have a band.
1: Okay. Heat Miser ends, and we had so Heat Miser had um, built a recording studio with our major label money. Okay. And I had access to some of that stuff, and I just started demoing songs, and Elliot would come and play on them. He played drums on all the demos for number two. Okay. And he played bass on some of it and sang on some of it. And so it, it never really felt like we stopped playing, you know, together. We right. just weren't doing Heat Miser. And I was, I had to give the label some music to see if they wanted to move forward with me. And so I sent them a tape and wrote number two on it, as in this is my second band. Yeah, and they're like, no. <laughs> oh, God. yeah. They just said no. Wow. And so I said okay, and then I was free. Like it, it, it was tough, but I didn't. I felt free. Okay. Um, and so then I started playing with Paul, okay. and really felt immediately that there was that we sounded good together. So we played together for a while and he recorded Yelp he record some more demos and then Janet Weiss actually suggested you should play with Gilly. And okay. so I was like, oh, that's a great idea. So, and I knew Gilly, I'd known Gilly since I'd moved to Portland. You know, she was in Lots of bands, but she was in Calamity Jane and Semi Sweet. Oh, Calamity Jane was Braille. Awesome. Star- yeah, Star Power, and then eventually Braille Stars. So I asked her, and she's like, "Sure." <laughs> and yeah, why not? We started playing together, and it just felt like, "Oh, this is cool." She can sing. Like, uh, "This is cool." So we just started doing that, and slowly pieced together a record.
2: Inside.
1: Then, right when we finished that that record and we we're about to go on tour with Quasi, Gilly decided that she wanted to to concentrate on Rail Stars. Okay. So we started playing with Jim Telstra, who um, was in the Dharma Bums and um, oh, was gosh. in the Minus Five, and and then we made. Uh, After a couple of years we made our second record, What Does Good Luck Bring? it wasn't getting easier. It was getting really? just more and more laborious and smaller and smaller and smaller. Like, we weren't... Our shows were getting smaller. We didn't sell very many records. The label was, a, was very small for that second record. Okay. And I just decided that I'm tired of beating my head against this brick wall. So we stopped. Wow. And just- then
0: just stopped yeah. man yeah i just yeah
1: just stopped
0: see i was and i went back and i was listening to the the first number two albums and i like th- there's a lot of things i like about it i like how um, uh, mike city sons has pop in g and then the first number two album has pop in c and pop in a minor i like that connection i love practicing your moves i think that's my favorite track on those two albums <sighs> five another oh, another awesome track i love that it's, that's a little different than a lot of the other stuff on there it's it's awesome yeah but, but practicing your moves is definitely off oh, those two my favorite i absolutely love that track oh thank you we'll be right back after a word from our sponsors hey guys i want to talk to you about socks for a second why not it's a music podcast but. I tried a pair of socks from Boldfoot and loved them. I've only worn them once because my kids have stolen them. So in my household, that's the best endorsement I can give. And I guess it's fitting because the design I chose was Jailbird. The design I chose was Jailbird. I might keep that in. The socks are 100% American made and 5% of all proceeds go to veteran charities. It makes sense seeing that Boldfoot is a family and veteran owned company. They have a huge variety of styles so check out boldfoot.com and buy some of the best socks you've ever slapped on your feet and help veterans while you're at it. That's boldfoot.com. And you guys were touring with Elliot too at that time, right? Yeah. Time so to time,
1: right before the first record came out, Elliot took us on tour. Okay. And that was super fun. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, because it was all like, I mean, it was really cushy, you know, we were on his bus yeah, and it was all booked and there were huge audiences and it was really fun. He was really generous oh, with his awesome. friends.
0: That is wonderful. Um, so yeah, that was great. So when you left, you, you just left, what did you do for 18 years? Cause you, you were So there's a gap. Yeah, I um I ended
1: up in a relationship a long distance relationship with two men. So that sounds uh complicated. Yeah, it wasn't <laughs> it was um sure. Yes. <laughs> um, but it also wasn't clear that it was a relationship until all of a sudden all this time had passed and we were together and it was like, oh, this is this is what we do. This is this is what feels good. And this is um, this is my family. OK, so that kind of started right as right as we put out um, the second number two record. What does good luck bring? OK. And then there, at the at the time, there was like a real the economy was tanking, and it was all this like tech stuff was it was it was tanking. Like there was a uh, I can't remember, but I m- my job was at a um a a graphic design studio. Okay, and I was. Uh, I started there as an assistant to one of the creative directors and then learned how to use the computer and learned and started to become working as one of the production artists there. And then they wanted to make a video at one point and I just opened up the software and it was, it made perfect sense to me. It was like recording music and I've always loved the combination of visuals and music. so. I put something together for them and they're like, okay, you're our editor. <laughs> and wow. so I became a video editor working at this job for these amazing people. There was this place called Johnson and Wolverton. And that was a really fantastic job because they, they taught me all kinds of stuff that I wanted to learn. And, and they were super supportive of, music so they would let me go on tour and come back and i still had a job oh that's nice you know but sort of towards towards like like right around 2001 it was really like the the economy wasn't doing well right and the studio ended up closing down or they they had a long-term plan and they were gonna close down Okay. This was in like 2005. And so I decided I was going to move to New York. Just, I didn't, I didn't want to play. I wasn't going to play in a band and I wasn't going to have a job. And I was in this long distance relationship with two men who lived in Connecticut. So it may, and one of my best friends, Mark Swanson, um, the artist lived in Brooklyn. Okay. So I was like, it makes sense to just try and move to New York and do something new. Okay. And it was a really hard thing to do because I loved Portland and I'd lived there for 15 years. It was the longest I'd ever lived any place. I felt like I was from there. Okay. All my best friends were there, but I moved to New York and was kind of instantly successful as a commercial video editor. Oh, cool. Uh, because I ended up working with the very same people who had just closed the studio in Portland and they'd moved to New York and they started working for a big ad agency doing Jaguar, the car. Oh, wow. And they brought me in as their editor and, like we were suddenly really successful oh man it it was like it was like having a hit record you know like it's it was that successful like suddenly i like had a salary and (laughs) like it was it was amazing and suddenly like it was just like things i didn't have to push anything it was just people wanted it was like the world wanted what i wanted to give the world the world wanted yeah you um, know and so it was it it was really fun time oh that's that's gotta be (laughs) so i i had like the opposite experience of people moving to new york like where you just have to pay your dues and it's like a slog for 10 years it was like Instant and super fun. That is fantastic. Oh. So that's what I did for, for, I mean, that's what I still do. I still make my living as a commercial video editor.
0: Oh, okay. Were you writing anything during this time or were you just completely yeah. out of music? No, I, so before I left
1: Portland, I sold a bunch of my gear, but I bought some things that I'd always wanted. And I got <laughs> a Les Paul. Ooh. And I guess so. I sold a bunch of guitars that weren't, that were pieces of shit, yeah. and got, got one that was good. <laughs> and then when I moved to New York, I actually started to make money. Right. You know, I, I was always totally broke as a musician when I lived in Portland. But when I was in New York, I started, I wasn't broke anymore. Yeah. And so and it, um, I got some stuff
0: pretty expensive place to live and not be broke yeah yeah that's awesome so um like i bought i bought
1: an amp that i always wanted I a great amp and i bought a really nice acoustic guitar and i bought a bass you know so and this is this is over years and years and years though like okay i would just get it because i wasn't wasn't really playing regularly but there. I would just go through periods where I would want to play music all the time, and then I would get too busy and stop. Okay, but that's kind of that's sort of what happened over the last fifteen years that I lived in New York. There was one really specific time when I became freelance, and I was starting to get kind of burned out, and I was I remember distinctly. I was playing video games a lot on my time. Like I'd come home from work and to decompress, I'd play video games okay. and I was playing Skyrim and it was
0: so hard, like <laughs> really comp, do you play video games at all? Uh, I haven't in a while, but my son does. Okay. Well, they're hard. Yeah. Like they're really complicated. I've tried some of his and it, yeah, it's,
1: So I, I was, you know, I was doing this like, going into this battle and I realized like you have to set your character up with like you have to know like all this stuff about stats and this data that you you have to infuse your character before you go into this battle so you could stand a chance oh, geez. and then you have to memorize all this stuff and do it like I'm like this is like playing music without any of the benefit this is like trying to learn logic or pro tools <laughs> You know, and I was like, "What the fuck am I doing? Staying up until 3 a.m. playing video games when I could learn logic?" Yeah, and, like it just dawned on me, like I could do that. So I quit and started to teach myself logic. Wow! Oh, that's amazing. So I did that, and then uh, it was like in 2012, and I and I took a break from advertising and just spent several months. Learning logic, learning how to program a drum machine, and writing songs.
0: Oh, cool. Okay.
1: And so I I worked on and, and did a bunch of stuff and ended up putting a few songs up on SoundCloud. But it they you know, then that was then that was it. But those three songs ended up on our new record. Oh really? Okay. Yeah, but in much different versions. Like they they became, they got, they changed quite a bit. Oh, which songs are they? I'm on a mission, Model of the Universe, and No One Needs to Know. Oh, three of my favorites. Well, I'm glad. Those went through like the most development. You know, like they, they, uh, they, they all changed quite a bit.
0: I'm on a mission is amazing. That is a killer way to open this the album. <laughs> just kind of it just makes me want to get in my car and just drive. yeah that's it, yeah. that's the kind of a- album that i love and that's this is yeah it's amazing it's
1: music yeah music is movement man yeah. like it should make you levitate like yes. i wanted to, i wanted to make something that you would start driving fast and not even realize it like yeah. that's what i want well i think that's you achieved what it. did good
0: for me, anyway. That's what it's supposed to do. <laughs> so what made you decide to, to really focus on putting another number two album out? And is there a reason you kept it as number two and not a new project? Well, so
1: my two partners threw me a, a surprise 50th birthday okay. party in Portland. Um, like we took a trip back to Portland and I thought that was the present that we were just going back there. And then it turned out there was a big party there. Oh, that's awesome. And, um, at the party were Jilly and Paul and Jim were there. And wow, we'd also, I'd also gone through the process of reissuing the, the number two stuff on vinyl. Like I'd in 2015, I'd, I'd always, every time I'd gone back to Portland, I loved going into Jackpot records, the, the record store Jackpot. Okay. And so I just wrote, and I, I knew Isaac's brothers, but I didn't know Isaac who owns Jackpot. And so I just wrote to him and I said, would you ever want to put this record out on vinyl? I know. Cause he, he puts out amazing stuff. He put out like all the wipers reissues and oh, um, okay. it, there's, there's, he just puts out really cool reissues and I didn't hear back from him. And so I just was like, okay, (laughs) man. But then suddenly like, he's like, do you hear, I I got this message from him and then he was like, do you still want to do this? I'm like, you want to do it? Yeah. So (laughs) we reissued it and it, um, it, it did great. Like he put it out on, um, record store day and we sold out and oh, I was wow. like, this is better than when it came out. <laughs> like it, you no, know, it was, it was amazing. I couldn't believe it. And so then jealous butcher offered to put the second one out. Oh, and cool. so we, I did that to uh, two years later, got that remastered and bonus tracks and all the artwork redone so that it could be big. And that, that, eventually sold out it wasn't as fast but um so it like when I on my 50th birthday party like we had already enjoyed like reissuing our records and everybody in the band had made a little bit of money from it you know it was cool yeah. we were like well never happens <laughs> <laughs> we should do it again right. and so it was like Okay, yeah, let's let's do it again. Like let's make another record. What would that be like? And
0: and then and then we just did it. <laughs> oh, that is great. Was the writing process for the, the songs was is it just is it mainly you writing the songs or is it collaborative for, for number two? I, yeah, I write the songs.
1: Okay. Um and the way that because I live in Brooklyn and the band is in Portland and operates out of Portland. I I was just sending demos to the band and also to Joanna Bolmie, who um, produced the record and produced all our other records. And she's one of my oldest friends. We were roommates, so I would send songs to them, and we would kind of go back and forth with them. and uh, And then I started flying to Portland just to play and see what it was like, and that went really well and then we decided well let's try recording as a band on the second trip so we went and that went super well and and then I went back and we recorded like what I thought was going to be like almost two-thirds of an album and then COVID yeah I came back and I came back from that and New York locked down and so I moved to Connecticut live with my two partners okay and I just took all the tracks that we'd finished and started working on them there okay they have a they live on a harbor and they have this like boathouse that was just full of junk oh, and wow. so I cleared it out and made this little recording studio there and to, just during COVID I just worked on these songs and because there was such a long it was like I had like a year before I would, could go back to portland oh wow and the, i just spent that time making the songs as good as i could and um also coming to terms with some of the ones that were very good and <laughs> had to figure out like how are we gonna fix this and how like what could we do instead and like model of the universe was one of them where it just didn't work the version that we did and uh, we tried I've recorded that song 5 times. Oh, wow. And it, and it but we finally found it, you know, like we took a lot of different approaches. Try to string you along.
2: Back to the light you turned on. time to go reeling in the aftermath put together a straight face for you but i'm
1: only kind that's kind of what i had during covid was just time to try different stuff and also to write more new stuff and let like the best stuff rise
0: okay so is that, is that why the uh, everything uh, you might be right came out as a single in 2020 and then the album took another couple of years
1: right so the i mean initially it would have all happened a lot faster yeah like closer together but covid so yeah we just didn't we weren't able to get it finished and then and then of course like getting it pressed to vinyl just that took like nine months yeah it wasn't so we've been done with the record for a long time okay wow but I really wanted it on vinyl because I was obsessed to been obsessed with records since I was a toddler. <laughs> so like, that's why
0: that's true. It comes full circle now. So I was talking to some friends of mine who I know were heat miser fans and all. And I told them that you were coming on the podcast and they all had the same question for me. Cause I told them that the new albums coming out and all, and they all had the same question for me because they know it's the third album. They said, why not name it? Number three well that's the band (laughs) well that's funny they're wise they're wise number two number three by number two the the, the true like
1: classic rock move would be to call it number four because like every so many classic (laughs) rock bands called their fourth album four yeah like Toto, <laughs> yeah. foreigner,
0: yeah, you know, like it's <laughs> Zeppelin skirted around it by Zeppelin, just doing the symbols, cy- but everybody calls it four. Yeah, So, so maybe, maybe I'll do four, yeah. sort of four. <laughs> number two, number four. So after such a, a kind of a, a gap, was it kind of was it tough to knock off the the rust to play and write, or was yes. it pretty easy? No, really, okay. It's really hard. Yeah. It took a lot of work. It sounds amazing. It doesn't sound like it, it, it was a struggle. It sounds beautiful. We worked really hard. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it paid off. I mean sure. they, they, it's
2: like
1: if we're gonna do it, like it had to sound cool to like or there's no reason to do it. Nobody asked us to get together, you know? Like there's no reason to do it other than to try and make something that was really that we thought was really cool, yeah. And so, and there was no deadline for it or anything. You know, it's just, it's just not. Let's just keep working until it's really as as good as we can make it.
0: Was it? And so, t- was it? for tough that reason. That um, we, I mean, were you tempted to just keep going and going and going, or was it? Everyone...
1: No, no. I mean, okay. once it,
0: once it, once it felt
1: like we were like the shape of the record was apparent then it was just a matter of getting that to be as good as possible. And I didn't, I didn't feel like we needed to keep trying to introduce other things into it because once the music was done, I was going to, the other thing that I've always wanted to do is video for my own for myself. Okay. You know, and, There was this period, like, in 2018, like, it was Trump's second year and the economy was, again, like, tanking. Like, why people don't remember that the first two years of Trump were, like, the economy sucked and I wasn't getting any work. And people, like, in advertising were like, maybe you should just work for free. And I was like, if I'm going to work for free, I'm going to like do something for myself. Yeah. You know? And so the idea became, well, I should cut video for music and then I'd have to write music. So that was another reason to do it. Okay. So once the music was done, I sort of turned my attention to making video for it. And and that takes even longer than recording.
0: Oh, okay. When you started Back writing, did your style or the process for writing change at all in that 18-year gap? No.
1: Um, really, the only thing that happened was I, I wanted to try to appeal to, like, the kid on the farm listening to music who really needed something, oh, you know? Yeah. So in that way, the songs are really old-fashioned, you know, okay. like the, and, and I didn't care, like we're long past the point of rock music driving culture Yeah, and, uh, I, I don't care. I don't need it as uh, a way to make a living. And, and I just wanted to make something that like, that moved me, right. you know, and the part of me that's moved by music is a little kid. Yeah. You know? Yep it's primal. I don't, you know, it's, it's something that's beyond anything I can articulate. So trying to write, I realized I'm not writing for an audience in Portland. I'm not writing for any audience. The only audience I'm writing for is this little kid. That's awesome. Right? Yeah. So that's, and, and, I can still feel that little kid and I can feel it when he likes it. So that, that is going to be a criteria for, for the songs. Like if they, like if the little kid likes it, then it's right.
0: That is so great. Oh man, I love it. I mean, you got some muscular riffs going on there. There's some great stuff. Like, like I'm on a mission, the you know, model of the universe. I love that. Is it, is it like a flangey, phasy guitar? I love that sound. Yeah. I right. one of my favorite effects. I love it. I think the way and I'm I have got to look at this it's circular here. Uh, see, you might be right. Too much is not enough, first love and no one needs to know. Four songs in a row that are just brilliant. I, Thank you. I absolutely love I could just put those four well, let put I'm on a mission and get those five if I could just loop those constantly, that would Good. be my driving soundtrack for my, for my commute I might, I might, you know, rear end somebody, but yeah, oh. you know, I'll try to be yeah. careful. <laughs> <laughs> keep your eyes on the road. Right. Well, I, I love him. Where can people find the album and how, how can they pick it up and listen to it? And- it's, I mean, it'll
1: be released, uh, on September 9th it's out. It'll be in record stores. You can get it on, if you can't find it at your local record store, you can get it from uh, jealousbutcherrecords.com or you can get it on Bandcamp. I love Bandcamp. Um, And the physical thing is totally worth it. We spent a lot of time making something that was worth
0: having. I've got the CD version of it and I love the artwork. And I think this is great. Thank you. I, love, I was used to be a photographer, so I I love good artwork. Yeah, that's a that's a Portland photographer. His name is Tatum Shaw. Oh, cool! And he's brilliant. Where can people follow you on social media? The band is there a social media account for both? Either the that- yeah, so you can find uh,
1: number two on Instagram and uh, and Facebook. I personally on both as well, but like the. Uh, Bad stuff tends to be all on the band count, and my personal stuff doesn't have much band stuff. But okay. for Instagram, it's like underscore, 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 number do D E U X underscore, underscore, underscore. <laughs>
0: All right.
1: <laughs> it was really hard finding a username that Instagram would let me have yeah. for number two. I believe it's that. A, it's a difficult band name to have uh, for like, you can't Google it. No, I did. Oh, <laughs> I, yeah, I, I, I tried. <laughs> it was a, you know, it was a, it was a, um, what do you call a spontaneous decision that stuck
0: and now <laughs> it is what it is you know? oh I, i've had a bunch of bands on like that like i just released an episode today by a, a band from a british band they're only around 18 months or so but the band was called fabulous and try looking that up it's yeah. just, especially <laughs> the name of the album is, is get fucked by fabulous and I still looked that up, and it was just Pornhub after Pornhub. I was just like, yeah, "Wait, I, I this is this, this is what I'm looking for." So it was, uh, but yeah. so are, are there any plans to uh, do live shows? Uh, yes, we're playing
1: live in Portland on September 9th the day the record comes out. Awesome, Mississippi Studios with a terrific seattle band called floored faces oh, cool. and um a portland band called phone voice and then we're playing in seattle the next night with julia shapiro from chastity belt and floored faces again
0: oh awesome awesome well i hope at some point you can come to the east coast because i love yeah, the music figure I, it out well thank you so much for all your time i really really had a blast thank you for having me oh okay. yeah it was fun
2: your flesh opened around me You drain me like I just confessed you say you finally found me